Welcome to App Talk with Uptick, where we dig into the nitty gritty of how to grow apps and games. We speak with industry experts about specific strategies, tools, and tactics they use to find success. And we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing games, marketing, and technology ecosystem. My name is Andrew Agosta, Director of Marketing here at Uptick. And joining me today is... Warren Woodward, co-founder of Uptick. And that's it. We're doing a big tech earnings podcast. We have some news also at the top. Um, but... We just wanted, there's so much going on and we've been covering big tech earnings and game earnings for basically a year now. And we figured these are such, like there's so much to cover here. It makes sense to just make their own episode instead of trying yeah. to squeeze it in with the interview. Everything's crazy right now. Yeah. We just wanted to do like a big news news week this week. I mean, what's going on? It's, it's, it's Wednesday here, November 9th, as we record this midterms are wrapping up, getting the results from that. The crypto market is on fire again, uh, though we thought it was already burned down, apparently can burn down further. So we'll get into what's driving that and uh, tons of crazy uh, movements with with the big tech companies um, and, and you know that we're seeing the macro impacts all around. So it's going to be news, but I think it's going to be a spicy one today. Yeah, there's some really spicy news at the top. And then I mean, we talked about crypto crashing. If you look at a big t- any tech companies stock chart uh, also <laughs> down to the right. So um, yeah, everyone's getting taken out back to behind the woodshed. Um, cool. So we got some really spicy stuff at the top. Warren, you want to kick us off? Yeah. So, you know, over the last 24 hours or so, the big news in crypto that's been having wide reaching impacts is uh, the kind of out of nowhere, sudden uh, demise question mark of of FTX, which is, you know, arguably the single largest power player in the blockchain and crypto space, like between what they own, the investments that they have. I mean, I think I think there's an FTX arena somewhere. Um, if I followed sports more closely, I would know that <laughs> for sure. So uh, what's what's going on? So um, we're going to link to a tweet from uh, CZ, who is the uh, CEO of FTX's biggest competitor, Binance. Um, so, uh, his tweet, and this is, you know, the high level, and then we'll go into details. Um, this is from yesterday. Uh, CZ says this afternoon, FTX asked us for help. There is a significant liquidity crunch to protect users. We signed a non-binding LOI intending to fully acquire FTX.com and help cover the liquidity crunch. We will be conducting a full DD in the coming days. All right. So this is from out of nowhere. Uh, so what what happened here? So I'm going to kind of give cliff notes, uh, assembling data from and, and 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 some of these items from different news news sources, different tweet threads. So grain of salt. There may be more clarity around some of these, but this is kind of our current understanding of the situation. So you know, FTX uh, grew into prominence, really taking over all of things crypto and blockchain over the last uh, call it 24 months, and uh, Binance was actually. Um, the the largest early investor in FTX. Uh, I think they were the sole investor in their strategic round, if I am correct. It was either their first or, or second round, but essentially like the first major raise. Um, since then, uh, they've actually become each other's main competitors. And in particular, in the last week or two, there's been very public fighting uh, over Twitter between uh, Sam Bankman-Fried the CEO of FTX and CZ, the the CEO and founder of Binance. 
Um, so this all came to a head over the last 24 to 24 hours and 24 to 48 hours and this is kind of the series of events. So there's this fighting cross Twitter between them. CZ of Binance then publicly announces that Binance will be selling all of their the FTT token, which is essentially the token associated with FTX. Um, and he announces that Binance will be doing this because of liquidity concerns of, of FTX. Um, now, over on the FTX side, it becomes clear that around 8 billion of FTX's assets on hand are in its own token. So, you know, dangerous. yeah, very dangerous. So it's, you know, it's, it's the token that they essentially, you know, print out of thin air. I mean, obviously it's tied to like, you know, some public tokenomics, but, you know, it, they, they create the source of 8 billion of their, uh, their, their assets on hand. So CZ makes this announcement that their, you know, their largest competitor is, is and, and their big investor is selling all of their token. This immediately crashes FTX's token price, which causes the liquidity crisis that uh, CZ referred to. And this this starts a crazy bank run uh, of uh, FTX's customers rapidly uh, removing their funds from FTX, uh, from the exchange. And FTX is now in a situation because so many of their assets were in their own token, which has now collapsed, where they are now insolvent and right. can't uh, honor all of these users' withdrawals. This is our understanding. Right. Um, and so now they need a bailout. So who comes to bail them out? CZ from 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 Binance. So uh, CZ, you know, shares the tweet that we we read, and he, you know, clarifies that like he's reaching out and, and offering this full acquisition of FTX, which is now distressed because mm -hmm. of the actions that CZ caused. So like CZ wins this public war in the most Chad way possible. Um, yes. And the, the irony of it is this is similar to at least accusations of some things that people have said FTX has done for some of the companies that they've acquired. Right. So there's a lot going on, but we wanted to walk through sort of like the step-by-step -step of how this happened and how it happened so rapidly. Xander, yeah. what do you think of this epic uh, tale of crypto warfare? I have... You know, I don't know. I don't not following this as closely as you are. Um, I do have some thoughts, but I, I have a question first. You said they were fighting on Twitter. Like, what is the nature of that fighting? What what, what does that entail? Uh, this would be a, another breakout topic, but um, we've mentioned this before. Sam Bankman-Fried of FTX. He's uh, very politically involved, so right. he's one of the largest uh, contributors in the blockchain space to um, you know to to politicians. And he was working on a public bill uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, basically a new set of laws um, that he was the driving force behind, um, that there was a lot of accusations that uh, those laws were going to be driving uh, practices that would be directly to the detriment of uh, both his competitors and of DeFi. Mm -hmm. And so this is when the public fighting between um, Binance and FTX, at least I started seeing more of it um happening on on twitter um that so that, that was sort of like the first step of this was related to uh, this new re regulatory framework that was being proposed yeah this, this is interesting i mean binance is an interesting company right because they basically started as completely decentralized they didn't have a headquarters or anything and they were they sort of came out of nowhere to be the biggest exchange in the in the world without having centralized headquarters 
in any and they basically were ungovernable because they didn't have they were not incorporated in any in any jurisdiction that has since changed right they are now trying to roll out and have rolled out in many many different distinct jurisdictions and from my understanding they are the largest exchange in the world even compared to ftx and that is obviously true now um my thought my, my one question is like isn't what happened to ftx basically the exact same thing to ha that happened to celsius they were using crypto assets that they printed as underlying collateral for tradings and derivatives and then as the asset Faith in the asset tanks, it reduces the value of the underlying asset and creates a death spiral. Is there something functionally different between this and Celsius? Or it, to me, it looks exactly the same. So just this, <laughs> this rhymes with a lot of the other uh, liquidity issues that we've seen, you know, affecting you know this this death spiral that that crypto has been in over 2022. Where yeah, there's a dependency uh, on a native token for one of these entities. Right. Um, it gets either. I don't want to say exploited, but basically there's some sort of either financial or social engineering that causes the collapse of it. And then there's, uh, you know, the domino effect um, leading to the downfall of the business. Right. And, you know, if we look at the crypto assets that have not had this effect, that have had longevity, it's the ones that are basically agnostic and traded across, I mean, Ethereum and Bitcoin being the obvious ones, although they still are depressed in a lot of ways. But there's no single point of failure in the same way they are for people like Celsius or people like now FTX, which makes a lot of sense and is basically incentive to the danger of having your own token. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a big, you know, I, as, as much as we talk about Web3, like for transparency, I own almost no yeah, crypto. And I have a handful, like, but it's like one, yeah, one, it's, 5%. It's, tri it's, yeah. it's, it's trivial. And, and it's, you know, a lot of our interest in it is more for, you know, but it's cliche, but like, what does the technology bring to the gaming space? Right. Um, and one thing that's becoming clear is like, if it's you know like ethereum like the best analogy i've heard is like it's it's oil like you need to mm. use it to do stuff like right. there's so many tokens uh produced by different entities that are essentially some version of you know governance token but to, to put uh more bluntly like essentially like a shit coin you know it's it's it's, right. it's a token produced by the entity that has some sort of cooked up function or some some sort of value in their ecosystem but doesn't have a real world like practical use case in the way that um, Ethereum does, which is really the only, you know, that and maybe some other, uh, you know, tokens that power their own chain, chains or side chains like uh, Matic for Polygon. I mean, those are the only things that I have much faith in personally in the, in the current market conditions is like, you know, does it actually let you do a thing that you need to do in the ecosystem? But I know we have a lot to cover today, Xander. Any, any parting thoughts on this or do you want to go on to the other big uh, news announcement this week? No, I mean, this basically falls in line with everything we've been seeing so far in the ecosystem. Yeah. It is surprising to see a company as big and, you know, hegemonic as FTX collapsing so quickly. Yeah, and there's far-reaching impacts. I mean, I've already talked to friends who, you know, were building their businesses on planned uh, investments from from FTX that are basically, like, looking for jobs now. So we'll see how this Summer. lands, but it's a scary time if you you know are a Web3 native business closely tied to FTX. Yeah, I guess there's okay. one other thing, which is I used BlockFi to mm -hmm. uh, hold some of my crypto assets, actually basically all of them that aren't like in, in NFTs and they're owned by FTX. And so I'm hoping that that doesn't disappear overnight because that'd be a bummer. <laughs> Definitely. Right, anyway, um, yeah, we'll up. have more on that a little later. So the other thing we want to touch on this is a follow up to you know something we've been covering is that the Unity and Iron Source merger is complete. Uh, so this is from uh, an email that came out directly from um, from Iron Source, and we're just going to read the full announcement real quick. 
So we've been covering this for you know the last couple of months since uh, since these explorations started. Okay, so here's the email. Today, IronSource merged with Unity, the world's leading platform for creating and operating 2D and real-time 3D content. This is an exciting day for our team as well as our partners. We believe that IronSource and Unity are better together. As one company, we will provide the most comprehensive and compelling offering for app and game developers on the market today, supporting our partners across the entire development lifecycle. We'll be able to execute on our mission to turn apps into successful businesses with opportunities to deliver even more value for our partners. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit of this. Uh, we believe that advertiser partners will benefit from the powerful synergies between Unity and IronSource with deeper connections between Unity and level play, creating a complete growth loop to drive better user acquisition. More importantly, we'll continue to invest in deepening our product to provide the most robust end-to-end -end platform in the market to power your growth. As we further integrate our technology, you can expect it to be business as usual, and we will continue to work with you as we always have. The relationship we build with you has been and remains at the center of everything both IronSource and Unity do. All right, so this has potentially huge implications for the mobile gaming ecosystem where we spend a lot of our core work. Xander, I know we've been talking about this deal for a while. It's actually closed. What do you think the impact is going to be for, for our segment? Yeah, I mean, props to Unity for getting this done. This is probably, I, you know, I thought I talked about how I thought maybe an Apple and merger would be a better strategic move. But with ruling that out, this is Unity is effectively now the most powerful, you know, publishing tool or stack of publishing tools in the mobile games and mobile marketing ecosystem. Um, they already controlled the development process with the Unity with the Unity platform, Unity development platform. And now they're able to layer in all the monetization tools of IronSource into the, that existing workflow. Um, they're also, IronSource has a very good account management team, which Unity has always lacked. So they get an mm -hmm. incremental go to market resource there. And I think this, you know, really bodes well for the long term for this company. I mean, these stocks are both abolished, like completely demolished um today. but um as far as consolidating power during a downturn if there's anyone who's going to be able to succeed on a go forward basis it's this combined entity it's like them or apple 11 but honestly because they control the development process they have an advantage that apple 11 doesn't have and so um you know i think you would you'd be really be really dangerous to sleep on this combined entity yeah, and you know, just thinking ahead, uh, next week we have uh, uh, Raphael mm. from uh, from AppLevin, who is like a day one employee there. Um, he's leading on a lot of their Web three initiatives. I think it'll be interesting to get some of his take on how uh, AppLevin's you know uh, M and A strategy and growth strategy over the last couple of years is you know comparing and contrasting that to IronSource and Unity here. Um, the thing that I want to draw attention to, which I said before, which I think is like the low hanging fruit and like immediate impact or near-term impact of this is Unity's Edge. As you said, Xander, they've never had the best BD team. They've right. never had the best uh, you know, user-facing product for those of us in user acquisition. But their Edge is that they're by default in such a large, their SDK is already in such a large percentage of all mobile games. Right. And so it there's, it, there's it's had the lower barriers, bar, lowest barrier of entry for most developers to serve ads in their game. It's already there. So if you can take that and then merge it with IronSource as a leading mediation platform, uh, if you can essentially flip a switch and have a mediation provider, that's going to really make it difficult for AppLevin and other mediation providers because uh, it's always harder to rip something out and replace um, once there's already something there. So if this means that a huge percentage of mobile games already have a default MMP integrated when they integrate the Unity SDK, that is a huge edge for the Unity plus IronSource entity. Yeah. Mediation platform, yeah. But 
yeah um yeah that'd be totally that's totally a good point i mean you you know bet against apple under your own risk they've done well so far um that being said there isn't really another unity the closest thing is like maybe unreal engine but they're not mobile yeah. focused they don't really you know i think unity owns like 90 percent of the development market for mobile and so like Apple doesn't really have anywhere else to go in terms of getting that last layer of uh, verticalization in their stack of, of their business stack. And so, you know, over time, it seems like Unity has an inherent competitive edge. This, this combined entity has an inherent competitive edge that I, unless Apple is able to drive immense value somewhere else in the value chain, I'm not really sure how over the longer of history they compete, despite the fact well. that they've done incredibly well to date. Let's see. I mean, again, we're looking ahead to our future conversation, but if say Apple even makes the play of if, if Web3 gaming grows like, you know, we kind of have a thesis at will and Apple even is early to market for the the Good SDK point. that you integrate to add a Web3 layer to your mobile game. And that's bundled with their uh, Max Ads mediation mm -hmm. product. Um, that could be there in, you know, it's a, right. it's coming from a different angle, but this will be really interesting to explore with Apple even next week. But here's the here's the flip side of that is let's say that happens. Let's say over two or three years they dominate Web three space. In two three years, Unity then provides a platform that does the same thing and bundles it with the Unity development platform. Over the long arc, they're going to do the same thing that they just did to mediation because they have they own the relationship with the developer. So I'm just saying like you could be right, but I, it's a scary time. I mean, I own Apple and stock. We've talked mm -hmm. about this in the past. It's just a scary time, and I hold it. I'm not selling it, but it's a scary time to be Apple and or anyone else really in the in the uh, value chain. Yeah, what a wild year. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's get into our main topic. Uh, this is always one of my favorite uh, episodes where I just kind of sit back and listen, which is like our, our earnings deep dive with Xander. So yeah. let's get into it. Where do you want to start? Well, we have a bunch to cover. I'll try and be as coherent as possible. It's a lot of a lot of data, and I just want to you know <laughs> through it without um, getting everyone's eyes to glaze over. So the first we're going to cover is Meta. You might have heard of them. They own Facebook. Um, here's a short quote from their Q3 earnings report. Quote, while we face a near-term challenge on revenue, fundamentals are there for a return to stronger revenue growth. We are approaching 2023 with a focus on prioritization and efficiency that will help us navigate the current environment and manage even strong, emerge an even stronger company. That is a very kind way of describing their, their uh, fundamentals. So in terms of their profitability, um, the quarterly, their quarter, or they were profitable, but anyway, um, quarterly revenue was down 4% year over year to 28 billion. The cost and expenditures were up 19% to 22 billion and headcount was up 28% to 87,000. Um, overall net income was down 49% to 4.3 billion. So we'll get back to that in a second, but netting out, they're making 5 billion less year over year than they did the same time last year. So that's not great. Um, it's not even good. It's bad. Yikes. <laughs> so um, some interesting stuff on the product metrics, they really emphasize this in their earnings letter, um, but it is a little bit fluffy. So day DAP, daily active people, which is their DAU count across the family of apps was up 4% year over year to nearly 3 billion, while the Facebook DAU is up 3% year over year to nearly 2 billion. One thing that's really interesting to call out is why they we didn't see worst uh, decrease in revenue was their ad delivery across the family of apps was up 17% year over year. So if, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, you're seeing 17% more ads this year than you did this time last year. But the price per ad decrease was 18%. So they basically just said, okay, we're getting less money per ad. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to swarm you with more ads. And even in that context, they still lost, they're still down 50% in net revenue. So sorry, net income. 
that is like a that's pretty big flashing red sign that this is this is a dangerous place to be as a business and um we'll explain about why the next in this next paragraph is a poll quote and this explains what what's going on here reality labs expenses are included in our total expense guidance we do anticipate that reality lab operating loss in 2023 will grow significantly year over year Beyond 2023, we expect to pace Reality Labs investment such that we are achieving our goal of growing overall company operating income in the long run. Okay, so where's all the money going? He's plowing into the metaverse. And we've talked about that a lot. Okay, so um, I guess we have key takeaways. Revenue is flat, costs are up, profitability is meaningly down. This is a reversion of a decades long trend. The stock got hammered after earnings down nearly 25% in a single day, largest drop in near-term history. Um, and Meta is feeling the heat. And uh, this is a fresh off the presses this morning. Zuckerberg's message to Meta employees, quote, today I am sharing some of the most difficult changes we've made in Meta's history. I've decided to reduce the size of our team by 13% and let more than 11,000 talented employees go. We are, and basically they're going to become more leaner and continue hiring freeze through Q1. So, wow, what a freaking bloodbath for the previous giant. Uh, I mean, more I'm sure you have thoughts here. I actually hadn't seen that 11,000 number yet. This is this the biggest, uh, I guess Twitter, you know, Twitter says, said, hold my beer, you know, like with their, with their numbers. Um, but I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you know, we, we talk about this every week, but, you know, to quote Zuckerberg himself, like, you know, Senator, we, we sell ads <laughs> and, you know, th there's basically two customer profiles for, for those ads. Uh, there are brand buyers. Uh, brand, which we cynically use as a shorthand for people who don't measure the efficacy of their advertising, and um, you know, advertising that that's not directly driving uh, profits is one of the first things to be cut when economic times get rough. You know, if you can't directly tie revenue to something, it's going to be high on the list for potential cuts. So that has been hit hard in the macro conditions. At the same time, uh, as we talk about every week. They got hit with the privacy hammer and scan from Apple, which killed uh, the largest portion of their performance buying. Uh, the other set of advertisers, which you know, which are largely focused on on mobile. So you have the one-two punch of what is essentially like their sole revenue stream, and we're just seeing this, you know, fully realized. You know, I think with each quarter that has passed since these changes happened and since the macro conditions started worsening, we're seeing this get worse and worse. And I think now we're at the level of like, you know, fully realized impact. Yeah. And I think that's all right. And the other thing that they're doing is saying, you know what? And Mark Zuckerberg can only do this because he has, you know, oligarchic control over the stock and specifically the super voting stock. He's saying, and you know what? On top of that, I don't give a crap what you guys think. I'm going to continue to invest in money losing projects at, at an accelerating pace. And so this yeah, is what happens. I mean, one thing I would say is like, you know, Meta definitely has the reputation of one of those like rest invest type of companies that will sure. like defensively poach talent. So it doesn't go to their competitors because their profits were so high. Um, I think, you know, our heart goes out to, you know, folks impacted uh, by this uh, side note, we're hiring at Uptick. If you work in UA or creative or data science, uh, feel free to hit us up. Um, but uh, I don't doubt whether these people were talented or not, <clears throat> that there was some some fat or redundancies in, in these teams. Like that's been true in, in our interactions with Meta and just from discussing from people that have worked there. So I think it's probably a healthy cut as sad as it is for the individuals affected. Um, and to be honest, I'm kind of glad to see them. To, to me, it, it tells me that Zuckerberg 
truly sees something and sees a path for success with metaverse. Uh, I'm actually at these price points, like this is the first time I'm seriously, you know, bullish on, on meta, uh, but relative to like, it's completely annihilated uh, valuation. Price, yeah. 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 That's interesting. The question in my mind, and I, I think I generally agree with your premise. If I had a bucket of money, I, you could do worse than buy a meta stock now. Although the thing I, I would look for is what is a catalyst to unlock growth that stock again? Because right, the there's no rates, hurry. There, yeah, <laughs> there's the no current, hurry, I think. The yeah. current rates, it's just like what they're doing is they're, they're not handing back money to the shareholders. There's a long topic here about that you could go into about how Apple became a dividend payer and what that did for their share price. And Facebook is not doing that. And there's a way potentially if they were to say, hey, instead of invest all this metaverse, become a dividend payer, potentially they could have a comparable impact to their stock price, basically be higher than where they are today. Um, and he's taking the opposite tack. But I think the thing that's really, really concerning is the fact that they're, by all metrics, the reality lab segment is not putting out anything that is functionally usable. Their DAOs are down. Um, and there's reports, people inside the company not using it. Now, this is all speculation. I don't actually have a good, clear visibility into it. But generally, what you do is you invest in projects that are working. And, you know, for instance, the app, the iPhone was developed R&D with a $3 billion budget. He's planning on doing 25, you know, call it between 20 and 25 billion a year for the foreseeable future on this project. And it's like, if you can get the iPhone, the most successful consumer product of all time for 3 billion, I mean, you really need a tighter feedback loop. And that's the thing I'm scared about in terms of being a shareholder. It's like, where's the feedback loop here? It's clearly not happening for the next couple of years. So we'll see. Um, Facebook is still an incredibly strong operator, um, but you know, there is, there's still big question marks in my mind. Okay, um, on to the next one. We're talking about Alphabet. Here's a quote from their earnings report. We're sharpening our focus on a clear set of product and business priorities. Product announcements we've made in just the past month alone have shown that very clearly, including significant improvements to both search, cloud, powered AI, and new ways of monetizing YouTube shorts. We are focused on both investing responsibly for the long term and being responsive to the economic environment. Okay, so what does that mean in terms of their profits or revenue? Uh, quarterly revenue is up 6% year over year to $69 billion. Net income this is important, was down 24% to 13.9 billion. Search revenue was at 4% to 40 billion-ish. YouTube was down 3% to 7 billion-ish, and the rest of their ads products were effectively flat. So what does that mean? Um, in aggregate, their growth is effectively non-existent in a way that, you know, this, which is comparable, but not as bad to what we saw on Facebook. So all that is to say is, even the leading jargonauts in the advertising space are not insulated from the retrenchment in the advertising business. And, you know, if anyone has a case capability of weathering the storm from an advertiser's perspective, advertising business perspective, it's obviously Alphabet. And mm -hmm. there's, there are stocks off 10% since the earnings call. Um, what, I mean, Warren, what do you, what do you think about this? And how does this compare to the, what you're seeing within the, our portfolio? Yeah, so I, I, the thing I really agree with is that that Alphabet is the best defensively positioned, primarily through you just look at the diversity of the revenue streams. Like we're, when you know, we're going to be touching on Snap in a bit when we when we talk about Meta, when we talk about Snap and some of um, you know uh, we're not covering our earnings for for Iron Force and Unity on, on on this episode, but you know it's essentially all from from ads, you know, right. for these other businesses. So uh, being more diversified revenue stream, but still being uh, ads juggernaut, I think 
you know, I saw an interesting graphic that showed that like a lot of the layoffs from these other companies, like uh, Alphabet has been the biggest um, place where these people have landed by, mm -hmm. by percentage. Um, so I do think that, you know, even though that, you know, their numbers are, are pretty bad as well in a number of ways, I do think that they are going to make it through this um, in a healthier way uh, than, than a lot of their competitors, which, you know, we might see some other really crazy acquisitions over the next uh, next year or so with with the level of like impact that these companies have had through, you know, all these issues affecting the advertising market. Yeah. And, and you know. Alphabet is also, they're cognizant of their position in the ecosystem. And here's a quote from what a Business Insider entitled, Alphabet is ramping up scrutiny of all its projects and cutting hiring in half as it tries to curb its cost. Really, really short quote, Alphabet is attempting to tighten its belt after going on a bit of a hiring spree. Sundar Pichai, CEO, said the company would review all its projects, quote, pretty granularly and, quote, make course corrections. So all that is to say is while they're not doing layoffs yet, they are cognizant of their spend and they are decelerating um, hiring, which makes sense for a company in their situation. I mean, I think this is less existential for Facebook, sorry, for Alphabet than it is for Facebook. At the end of the day, they own, they own Android, which is obviously right. they'll always control distribution of that no matter what happens to iOS. They have the big, they're basically the biggest search provider, one, you know, one of the biggest search platforms in the world. Sorry, one of the biggest advertising platforms in the world, obviously the biggest search platform in the world. On top of that, they make about $7 billion, wait, hold on, where's this number? Yeah, about $7 billion a year from their cloud services. So that's their version of AWS. And that is a growing segment that has nothing to do with advertising. And so that is, you know, they are well well better diversified than Facebook is in a really meaningful way. And so, you know, Alphabet is, regardless of the short-term uh, turmoil, Alphabet is very well positioned over the long-term in a way that Facebook potentially is not if they get crushed um, in the metaverse going forward. Yeah, well put. Who's next? Yeah. Okay, this one is a, we'll do kind of short because I don't actually have a ton of hot takes, but um, Snapchat, here's an earnings quote. This quarter, we took action to further focus our business on three strategic priorities, growing our community, deepening their engagement with our products, re-accelerating and diversifying our revenue, revenue growth and investing in augmented reality. So in terms of their numbers, their quarterly revenue was up 6% to 1.1 billion. However, net quarterly loss increased 400%. <laughs> To 360 Yikes. million. <laughs> yeah. um, and they authorized a $500 million buyback program. Um, on the product side, their daily active users were up 20% to just over 350 million, 360 million or so. So um, this is on the back of a 20% layoff of its workforce that happened in August. So that some of that should be captured in this quarter. Um, but the serious increase in operating loss is an incredibly big flag. And it's not blamed in the macroeconomic conditions, but I think the elephant in the room is still ATT. And you know, these they were always the slowest to respond to Apple's ATC. And it seems clear that they don't have a cohesive strategy for how they're going to continue to make money or no, not make, to continue their path towards profitability in this post uh, ATT environment. It seems like a company that still seriously needs right sizing. Um, these are some of the craziest operating loss accelerations I've ever seen. And I guess we'll see in Q4 how the headcount cutting actually is reflective in the numbers for Q4. And that should give us an indicator of whether or not we think Snap has a chance going forward. I mean, obviously, so Snap's not going to disappear. It's a valuable set of users. But if the price, if this, the price of the stock gets hammered enough, it becomes a really tasty acquisition target. 
<laughs> anyway, Warren, what do you think here? How does this line up with what you're seeing both like in that yeah, I mean, and in the portfolio? It's, it's going to be a broken broken record here. I mean, you've got a business who's, uh, I, I guess in this case, you know, Snap is entirely mobile driven, right? Yeah. So they're going to, of, of all these entities we've talked about, um, they're going to be the most uh, wholly impacted by by these changes in the mobile advertising ecosystem. And you know, I mean, just going to play the hits again, you know, everyone's spending less, like they can't buy profitably on, on iOS, budgets are being cut overall, uh, inability to raise new funds for companies that aren't profitable yet. And there's just less buyers in the market too, as you know, more and more companies like just gaming companies going under. And I know we're, we're likely to dig into some gaming company earnings in a, a future episode, but everything is just lining up. If you can be up 20% in daily active users, and still have to cut 20% of your workforce, then it seem, it definitely says that there are factors outside of your direct control likely impacting the situation. Macroeconomic, Warren. <laughs> I don't actually believe that. Um, can I interest you in some Snapchat spectacles? No? What about a drone? No? Okay. All right. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Apple, the elephant in the room. Apple's From Apple's quarterly earnings report. This quarter's result reflected Apple's commitment to our customer, to pursuit of innovation, and to leaving the world better than we found it. As we head into the holiday season with our most powerful lineup ever, we are, we are leading with our values in every action we take and every decision we make. We are deeply committed to protecting the environment, to securing user privacy, to strengthening accessibility, and to creating products and services that can unlock humanity's full creative potential. Man, what a great... This sounds great. (laughs) All of that sounds great, Xander. Yeah, well, and and to be clear, they, whether or not we can talk about their spin in a second, but they are delivering in a way that nobody else is. So profitability, quarterly revenue was up 8% year over year to $9 billion. Product sales were up 9% to 71 billion and services revenue was up 5% to 19 billion. And then um, their quarterly in, uh, net income was effectively flat at around 20 billion. This is, you know, they're very, very good at managing their PL so that they uh, are never making money. So some key takeaways, um, Microsoft or uh, Apple stock spiked after earnings, but is now down 6% because the market continues to slide. Apple is a, is a shining star amongst the big, big tech companies in that they continue to eke out profits. However, their profitability is still largely tied to their ability to produce high profit margin hardware and their ability marginally is their profitability also marginally is now being levered to their ability to extract value from the ecosystem in the form of their services hardware, which is basically, or sorry, services segment, which is their tax on the app store, more or less. It, It includes some other things as well, but that's the big piece of it. So, Curious your thoughts here. I have some other thoughts here, but Warren, I mean, what do you think about Apple and how it stands out compared to everything else? So, so most of the growth came specifically from hardware. This is this is what they're stating. Um, nine. Well, they grow both. They basically break out into two segments: services mm-hmm. and uh, product sales, which is hardware. And product sales were up nine percent, and services are up five percent. So both growth in both segments. That's interesting. I'm I'm wondering. I'd love to go a little deeper into the results and understand what drove services up because we know that you know that, that mobile gaming and mobile apps revenue is is generally down. Um, well, they don't. I would love to too, but they don't tell you. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I mean, and so think about what but, else they have mm-hmm. in that bucket. I mean, it's everything mm-hmm. from your subscription to the Genius Bar and Apple 
care right. to Apple uh, Music, which I'm told is continuing to gain ground mm -hmm. um, to Apple Arcade. And then on top of that, well, they're, the they're bundled music. subscription of, of Apple, Apple, Apple one. TV, Apple, yeah, mm -hmm. Apple one, Apple TV. So there is a lot of value that they're still enabled to incrementally extract from their user base. And specifically it's because they have the platform distribution advantage that they can, they can push all these different subscriptions on the people and continue to make money there. Even as by all indications, their iOS IP revenue is being squeezed due to the changes made by ETT. I mean, 5% is not a lot of growth. For a company that was growing uh, fast. Apple, I'll give you, I'll give you a freebie here, uh, how you can make your numbers go way up. <laughs> so uh, just, just play nice with Web3 games. So if you actually develop policy where uh, you don't take 30% of every NFT purchase, but instead treat it like a marketplace and take a percentage of the marketplace fees, that will open the door and encourage all, all of this massive uh, development funding that we've seen going to Web3. It will encourage them to prioritize launching on iOS, which a lot of developers right now are actively avoiding right. because of the current policies. Um, so if you really want to diversify that revenue stream and really own another segment, like like that's that's the play. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm being slightly slightly sarcastic, but definitely Apple is going to be the last uh, pillar to fall. Um, they you know they have a lot more income streams, similar things to 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 what we said about Alphabet and Google, uh, that we're not seeing the same level of impact directly to them. Well, one thing I will say is they've made money because of their ability to produce hardware. Now, I don't know if you've been right. following what's going on at Foxconn, but right now that segment of the world is under zero COVID policies that are just demolishing that section of the world from China. They're shutting down. People are quitting, jumping in the fences and, try and walking 200 kilometers home. I don't know exactly that is miles. If they cannot produce hardware, we are going to see the same destruction of the value of the stock and they can't sell enough hardware into Q4, we're going to see the same damage to the stock that we saw everywhere else across the tech ecosystem. And this is one of, you know, they say they're good, they're doing what's best for humanity, but they're still using, you know, very low cost labor and very poor working conditions in China to produce the majority of their hardware. So sorry what they say, I think we have to look at this with clear eyes and understand that like, we'll see. There's not, I mean, they're not out of the woods yet. So anyway, that is our wrap up of the earnings we're going to cover for this episode obviously there's more but we can't get to everything um we planning or we're planning on doing another breakout episode specifically on gaming's earnings so if you're interested in this kind of stuff um stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks um there are a couple other things that we could call it here warren do you want to touch on these next couple of things yeah i mean i think you know it's just like a, a post postscript for apple like we there's there is rumors of an apple hiring freeze as well so just a quick pull quote from business insider on this uh, apple will freeze hiring according to a report from business insider and the hiring pause could last for months or nearly a year, according to three unnamed sources who told the publication that the decision will impact the company's full-time corporate employees. Business Insider notes that the company made the decision due to current macroeconomic climate. Um, and then there was another recent announcement to piggyback off of this uh, of, of Amazon with an internal announcement about a hiring freeze. So to read that really quickly. With the economy in an uncertain place and in light of how many people we've hired in the last few years, Andy and S-Team decided this week to pause on new incremental hires in our corporate workforce. We have already done so in a few of our businesses in recent weeks and have added other businesses to this approach. We anticipate keeping this pause in place for the next few months and will continue to monitor what we're seeing in the economy and the business to adjust as we think makes sense. And then everyone knows about the massive Twitter layoffs as well. So... Woo! It is a tough time to be working in big tech right now. More is my job. I mean, uh, yeah, you're you're looking good, Xander. I mean, 
the secret of uptick, not to get too shilly, is like like you know we we built a business where we really try to focus on clear, measurable profit driven by our work. Um, and I think you know this is this is a period where there's a lot more eyes and scrutiny on you know all parts of you know any any cost source, right? And not that uptick is impervious for it, but I think you know when any any business is is doing an audit of where their cost is going, they're going to try to tie it to, can I directly, you know, tie this cost source to, to revenue and, you know, not that we, you know, aren't at risk or don't, don't make mistakes, but just having a business that is built around delivering clear and measurable revenue and profits for the games we work on. I'm hoping <laughs> for all of our sake gives us a little defensiveness here, but we'll see how this pans out. Awesome. So we'll, we'll go to a quick app of the week session as a roundup and more you want to start. Yeah, I'm doing a little bit of a, a, a bundle this week, and the theme is, you know, apps to store your your money in <laughs> during, during troubled times. Um, so I think we, we've touched on uh, at least a couple of these, but, uh, you know, the, the three that I kind of keep tabs on and, and will move my own funds around on are, uh, you know, BlockFi, which you touched on earlier, uh, uh, Gemini, and uh, Robinhood more and more. Um, so I just wanted to do a quick kind of roundup of, of these and, and updates. So um for uh for gemini they've been like lowering their rates a bit over time um it is tied to their uh native stable coin uh and that's that's also coin. yeah exactly and and similarly um uh blockfi uh their earnings are tied to stable coins they do provide interest on a number of stable coins including binances busd and the gemini gusd as well as usdc and tether um, so both of those currently have, uh, call it like between five and 7% variable interest rates, but with them, you have the risk of stable coins. Um, and, you know, looking at the last year, like definitely, you know, it's, it's a cost benefit analysis, but definitely don't rush to put all your funds in that. And we've covered this before, but I'm giving an update. Robinhood has been going ham with offering interest on holding your cash in Robinhood. We've reported mm -hmm. that they started offering 3%. They just bumped it up to 3.75%. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think there's maybe an unproven risk of, of how they're generating those returns. It is not stable coins. Um, it's tied to bonds. They have 9% government bonds. You just take your cash, go buy 9% bonds. That's that's true. Um, it's tied to what they call like a cash sweep system, which I think has to do with, with uh, stock lending. But again, I'm not an expert there. Xander, if you have insights on you know how cash sweeps work. Um, but uh, I think it's just interesting. And and, and I do think you know this is going to be an uh, interesting conversation in current macro conditions of like, hey, I just want to hold on to my cash. Like, where is the safest place to put this? So I thought it was worth just doing like this roundup of, you know, the the apps that I think about um, for just like holding holding cash and generating returns on that. Yeah, and for my from my perspective, I I have Robinhood, have a lot of stocks in Robinhood, and then I have BlockFi and I hold both my Ethereum, the majority of my, my Ethereum and Bitcoin, which is not being used for say NFTs in the short term, that all sits in a BlockFi account earning nominal interest. So it's like three, it's like three or four yeah. percent, which is actually better than a lot, although you're losing it on the depreciation of the asset. Right. <laughs> and I cases. forgot one of the reasons why I wanted to touch on this was you know, BlockFi was like a leader in the segment. For the last year or so, they actually haven't been allowed 
to mm. take deposits for their interest generating product. And they just made an announcement this week that they're about to open it back up, but only for accredited, accredited investors. So you basically will have to approve you're an accredited investor. If you do, uh, they have the current highest advertised rates of these three, which I think is about 7% for stable coins or 7.5. Um, so that door is opening back up, but going back to the top of this episode, I think you need to think of the innate risks with stable coins and if nothing else, I'm waving a flag that like, if you use these products like BlockFi and Gemini, you have something that looks like cash. It's not actually cash. So make sure you do your research and understand the risks associated with that. That's a good note. Yeah. Xander, what do you got this week? I have kind of a, an interesting niche one. I'm talking about a Steam game called Victoria 3. Now, Victoria 3 is a paradox game, which is basically a simulation of the global economy from 1836 to 1936. And it is the nerdiest game that you can possibly play. You think magic is bad? You should try playing this game. You basically take control of a, a country and you guide their uh, economic development through the Victorian era. And um, it is literally like playing a spreadsheet, but if you are some of a nerd, it's quite a bit of fun. And what I really, really appreciate about it is the fact that it does, I think, the best job of any game I've ever seen in terms of articulating economic theory and economic models in an easy-to-ingest way to play. So basically, you can learn about real economic theory through playing a game. And that is something that I think, you know, as someone who is really bullish on game segment as a whole, one of the things I really appreciated about it is the way that allows you to learn in ways that books or any sort of other engagement period don't because you act out different economic theories and then you see the impact in game mechanics and that is the best out of anything ever i think well except for like maybe running a country to understand the impact of uh different economic theories in the real world and so um deep hole i mean you're not gonna understand the basic mechanics until you play about 40 hours so risk associated with this is you lose a bunch of time but very very good simulation game if you're at all curious in that sort of stuff awesome and that's on steam it's on Steam. I think it's probably mm -hmm. elsewhere, but I play it on Steam. Cool. Well, that is our earnings wrap-up episode. Um, if you want to hear more of this, uh, we'll have some on gaming in a couple of weeks. Uh, Warren, do you want to take us out? Yeah, that was fun, Xander. Uh, it is a crazy time to be alive and working in tech and games and growth marketing. Uh, but that's what we do here at Uptick. So, you know, at Uptick, we do all things to help games grow, both providing the technology infrastructure, some really cool tools around uh, measuring scan and uh, optimizing your iOS spend. It's been something we've been really focused on and utilizing for our clients lately. Um, but we do all things to help create games grow. And uh, if you need help, and a lot of people do need help right now, we love meeting developers, just talking through your problems, seeing where we can add value. And you can reach us at uptick.com. That's U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Thank you, Xander, for the earnings analysis. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week. Awesome. Talk soon.